filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calagiri. What's going on, you guys? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week I'm bringing a book to you, condensing it down to its core golden nuggets, saving you time from having to read it yourself. This week, what are we talking about? We're talking about a book that'll help you build new products, new services, bring new offerings to market that the market isn't used to yet. The market doesn't even know they have a problem. They don't even know they need your product, your service, or your offer yet. This book's called Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets by a whole slew of people, Al Ramadan, David Peterson, Christopher Lockhead, and Kevin Manny. Now, for those of you who don't know me quite that well yet, um, I'll give you a little bit of insight into some of the stuff that I've done. So I have experience in this area working directly with the chief marketing inventor of Procter & Gamble. So I worked with him and his system and used the system to drive new products, services, and offers for organizations that had a desire to create a new category, who had a desire to maybe not create a new category, but create a more competitive offering that the marketplace doesn't have yet. So I've worked with teams and helped them create new innovations like a new service offering that they can offer to Fortune 500 companies, Uh, a new type of packaging that they can then offer all of their customers, which they couldn't currently offer their customers, new types of mobile applications, a type of financial product. I even helped government organizations understand how they can innovate within their own departments and help lead their teams to creating operational efficiencies that in the end save them What was the number? I believe it was $6.5 million a year by implementing this new innovation. So I do have experience in this area. So for me, a lot of this stuff isn't new. Uh, Regardless, it gives me an opportunity to share some of these things with you guys and then bring some of my stories into it as well. So I'm going to do that today with you guys. So I hope that you guys can take something away from this and uh, maybe apply it into your businesses. So why don't we crack right into this one, you guys. Play bigger, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. Golden nugget number one. Before you start creating a new product or a new service, you need to understand two critical elements. Now, again, like I said, I have a lot of experience in this area. And the two things that I always focus on, I want to make sure that the teams I work with focus on, is that they have their minds right. And that they truly understand what they're getting into here. So the first one, the first thing I need you to understand is that that you're not actually creating a complementary product or a service. You're not creating what's called, you know, a logical innovation. Innovation is a word that I can't stand using. I really hate using it because it's lost all meaning. Everybody uses the word innovation. I just hate it. So I try not to use the word, but, um, you know, it'll slip out once in a while. But when you're creating a brand new category, you're creating something that isn't a logical leap. You're creating something that the world has not seen yet. You're solving a problem that the marketplace didn't even know they had yet. And so by creating a brand new category, that in itself is what the authors are trying to get you to do in terms of playing big. They want you to create a brand new category. And we've talked about this before in previous episodes of the Cut the Crap podcast. I think it's episode 24. We talk about the 22 immutable laws of marketing. One of the first rules is being the first in a category. Well, being first in a category, how do you be first in a category? Well, you create the damn category itself. And so you have to get your mind right because this is something completely different. A lot of companies, they don't like doing this. A lot of companies like creating products or services that 
It just makes sense. Of course we're going to offer this. Why wouldn't we? And so they might leverage different products or services that already exist and they bring them into their organization to drive revenue and drive new benefit to their companies. That's what 99% of companies out there do. Very few companies actually create brand new categories. You even want to create brand new categories. No, why don't they want to create brand new categories? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's tough. This doesn't take months to do. This takes years. It takes a long time. So you have to prepare yourself to get into this space. You have to prepare yourself to talk to a lot of people, do a lot of market research, test, and oh my God, you got to fail. You have to be comfortable with failing. Here's an example of a new category, Uber. Right, Everyone knows what Uber is. If you don't know what Uber is, it's a service that's provided where you have an application where the taxi service comes to you instead of you going to the taxi. Because typically, what do you do when you're looking for a taxi? Well, you go to the road, you wave a taxi down. Sometimes there's one there, sometimes there's not. You're sitting there looking and, oh, is there light on? Is there light off? Whatever it is. Well, if you're a taxi service, what do you do? Well, they say, oh, we got to compete. We got to get better. We got to become more, um, we got to become, um, we got to become fresher. We have to drive more value. What do we do? Well, they create an application. Well, that's cool. That's a nice new offering you can uh, provide to your customers to provide you know, better service. That in itself is not creating a brand new category. What created a brand new category was what Uber did. Now, what Uber did was they replaced the cabbies. They created an application where they said, hey, tell us where you are and we're going to come pick you up. By the way, you will attach your credit card to this. We'll tell you how much it's going to cost. We'll add GPS on this so you can see where your driver is, who your driver is, how your driver is rated. And by the way, your driver is also going to rate you as a passenger to let other Uber drivers know how you are as a passenger. And if they want to pick you up, they'll pick you up. And if they don't, they won't. So Uber created a brand new category. And as such, they became what the authors call a category king. Obviously, first to market, first one created, they're the category king. It's awesome. I love this stuff. It's so exciting if you want to go down this path. But I'll tell you, again, it's hard. So the second thing I want you to keep in mind, so number one, you're creating a brand new category. You're not creating a logical um, progression in your offering. But the second thing is you have to be prepared to have great timing. Because I'll tell you right now, guys, sometimes if you're in this space and you're trying to create a brand new category, the world is not ready for it yet. And I've talked to a lot of organizations where they've created new products, new services, new offerings that exist today that they created years ago, five, six, seven years ago. They were too early. The marketplace was not ready for them yet. And there were so many different factors. And we can go into the different factors in terms of what held them back. And unfortunately, this is just the crapshoot of creating a new product, a new service. Sometimes the market's ready for it. Sometimes the market's not. The marketplace is ready for Uber now. They probably weren't ready for it, you know, five, six years ago. We are more addicted to our cell phones now than any other day. Right now, we're used to putting in our credit cards on our phones. We're used to making transactions on our phones. We're used to communicating through our phones more frequently now than we were before. Five years ago, technology just wasn't there to integrate GPS into your phone. It probably wasn't there to integrate uh, payment features into your phone as well. Um, you probably couldn't have this kind of communication between drivers and people at this point in time. There's so many different factors here at play that really make Uber difficult maybe five, six years ago. However, now it makes sense. You know, another company that uh, I work with, what they created was they created an online shopping cart where you can go ahead and place an order for all the stuff in your grocery store. You know, here's all the items in the grocery store. What do you want to buy? Milk, butter, you know, box of Lucky Charms and Captain Crunch, whatever it is you want to buy. And then the grocery store would then put it aside and save it for you. So all you have to do is go in, pick up your bags and walk out. They developed this like eight, nine years ago. 
The marketplace was not ready for this. This company was way ahead of the game. The problem was the marketplace wasn't ready yet. And they didn't invest enough in marketing. They didn't invest enough in their patients to bring this to market. And so as a result, it ended up dying. And now, just now, this is starting to come out where a lot of organizations are creating applications to say, hey, we can communicate with the stores, tell the stores what these people want, put it aside in bags, and people can come by and pick it right up. Now people are used to this. And why? Well, because there's other people out there who are doing this kind of thing in a smaller extent. Starbucks, for example. I don't know how many of you guys have the Starbucks app, but I love this app. I very rarely wait in line at Starbucks anymore. Place it on my phone, place my order, walk right in. It's waiting for me, pick it up, walk right out, done. Right now you can apply this to a whole assortment of different industries. Now the marketplace is ready before they weren't. So timing is so important here. So I'll talk about another example here, an example from 2002 where Bill Gates, of course, you know, the founder of Microsoft, he developed the tablet PC to address what he saw as, you know, a big technology problem. You know, the cell phone screens, they were too small at the time. You couldn't use them comfortably uh, for a really long period of time. Laptops, they weren't portable enough. The batteries died too fast. So Gates, he nailed it. He had a solution, the tablet computer. What happened? The tablet PC as a product by itself bombed, failed miserably. The funny thing was, just a few years later, Apple's Steve Jobs identified the exact same problem that Bill Gates identified, and he created, of course, the iPad, the tablet computer. And so what was the difference? The difference was the marketplace wasn't ready when Bill Gates brought it to market, and the marketplace was more ready when Steve, when Steve Jobs brought it to market. And not only that, but Steve Jobs, in my opinion, he made it simpler. Bill Gates had a bigger idea. He wanted to take the personal computer and make that in tablet form. When in reality, what Steve Jobs wanted to do was he just wanted to create a piece of technology that would allow people to surf online, find information, check their emails, and deliver presentations. So he really made it a little bit simpler. So what he was able to do is he's able to understand his marketplace better, understand the problem that he was solving better, and promise them a solution that would solve that problem. So what Jobs did was he just correctly identified this need and met it through a lightweight, intuitive iPad. Now, the challenge here was that it was about timing. It's not just about understanding the problem. It's about timing. If the marketplace isn't ready for that, the marketplace is going to buy into it. So if you're going to be investing in these brand new categories, you have to have patience and you have to really think about the timing. Is the marketplace ready for this yet? And the best way to do that is just with some simple testing. Test your idea. Develop a minimal viable product, bring it to market, bring it to partners, bring it to vendors, get your NDAs signed, and go out there and start testing the market. Do some surveys. Would they buy into this? Would they use this? Very simple, you guys. You have to do this. You have to turn this around. Quick, fail fast, fail cheap methodologies, cycles of learning. These are the kind of things that you have to use. You have to put into place to help you create something brand new for the marketplace that they don't even know they need yet. I tell you guys, this is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult to do, and so I'm very wary of books that come out here and say how easy it is to do because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of research, a lot of trial, a lot of error, but the key is failing in small chunks. You know, fail, learn, fail, learn, fail, learn, find something that works, put into place, finally got something. And now we can take this to market. I think we have a winner. Let's try it out. And it takes time, you guys, but those are the two things I want you to keep in mind. When you want to play bigger, you have to keep in mind that number one, you're going to create a brand new category. You're not creating a logical leap, something that the marketplace expects. And number two, you need to have patience and you have to have great timing. If the timing isn't right, if you're not patient enough, your new category might not make it to market. Golden nugget number two, 
you can find opportunities for new categories by leveraging these six techniques. Now I'll level with you guys here. Uh, the book shares this two techniques. I'm gonna bring to you four more techniques. All six of these techniques I've used to help organizations develop new products and services and bring some of these new things to market. So I'll start with the two from the book. One of the first ones from the book is something called Market Insights. Now, a market insight means that you're intimately familiar with how the marketplace that you operate in works. So from my perspective, when I use it on teams, a market insight is really understanding your competitors, doing research on your competitors, doing research on your marketplace, the industry you're in, and truly having a good understanding of that. That by itself, I'm sorry, guys, that that's not going to create brand new innovations. It just doesn't. Like... You can know your marketplace really well. You can know your customers really well. But that by itself, that knowledge, yeah, that's everyone can bring that to the table. There's nothing there that's really going to stimulate your imagination to creating something new. Is it important to have good insight into your marketplace? Well, of course it is. You have to truly understand your marketplace by surveying them, talking to them, bringing new things to market, testing things, failing. You have to understand your market, definitely. I think that goes without saying. So for me, that's not that important. And in my experience, in the experience of the uh, individual that I worked with at Procter & Gamble, he found that you don't generate a lot of new products or services from that because there's just not a lot of stimulus there to drive new thought patterns, new ideas for new offerings. So the second type of insight that the authors talk about here is something called technology insights. Now, these insights is where you know experts, scientists, engineers, inventors, they create a brand new product or a brand new process without, even, without deep knowledge of a marketplace's need, and then they find the need afterwards. Okay, so this is something that I like to call patent insights. We've used patent databases to help drive new products, new services, help stimulate our minds. So let me paint a picture for you guys here. Um, when I worked with teams, we would go online and we would just go, go to google.com slash patents and start typing in different keywords that might relate to something that you want to create, that might relate to your marketplace. Just do a whole bunch of creative searching and see what you can find. Print up a whole bunch of different patents, have a big stack and start looking through them. Is there something that you can take from different patents? Did you know that you can buy certain patents? Did you know that certain patents, patents have expired and you can acquire them really quickly? Did you know that you can go and talk to the inventor themselves and ask them questions about their patent? I'll tell you right now, a lot of these inventors, they love talking to you about their patents. I've had many a conversation with many inventors who love to talk about their patents because guess what? Most people don't talk to them or reach out to them, so they love to share information with you. So by talking to these inventors, these scientists, these people who create these new patents, if you just talk to them, they'll give you different ideas that you can use as sparks to get your mind working in a different direction to bring something new to the marketplace. And again, this is not something from the book. The book isn't talking about this. They're just talking about somebody who creates new technologies. Okay, I'm gonna take it to a deeper level, okay? Somebody who actually creates these new technologies and I'll tell you how to do it. Go on patent databases, huge opportunity for you. So those are two, I've added a little bit of depth to that, but let's go into the other four. So another one is just future insights. There are futurists out there, people who really see into the future and not in a hocus pocus way, but they truly understand the marketplace to a depth where people just don't know when they can make estimated guesses in terms of where it's going. A perfect example of this is Gary Vaynerchuk when it comes to social media platforms. This man has a knack for understanding where the marketplace is going to go and which social media platforms are going to blow up. This man knew back in the day that Twitter was going to blow up. He knew that Facebook was going to blow up. He knew that Facebook was going to buy Instagram. He knew that Snapchat was going to catch on. 
okay, this guy by himself is a futurist. And there's many other people out there that have this kind of forward thinking mentality. You have to find those people, understand their insights, talk to them, take in their information, and that's going to help you bring something new to market. It's going to help you stimulate a brand new spark that you might be able to turn into a new product or a new service. Another one, which is very similar to that, it's expert mining. Now, these people aren't necessarily futurists, but they do really know a lot about what they're talking about. So let's just say you want to bring a brand new product or service to market. You might want to talk to experts in a specific industry to truly understand the marketplace better. Let's say you're trying to bring something new to the agricultural industry. Well, why don't you talk to people who are experts in ag? Talk to them and understand the industry to a depth where you don't understand. Leverage their expertise, their years and years of research to help bring that onto yourself to help you create something that's new to the marketplace. So another one is insight mining. And insight mining is actually just going to your customers. You know, ask your customers what they want. Ask them what kind of experiences they're having. Ask them what problems they have. Ask them what they like about something. Ask them what they don't like about something. Ask them what they wish they could do instead. And you might spark something from that. So there's insight mining. And finally, we have unrelated mining. Now, unrelated mining is cool because what you're doing here is you're taking different ideas from something that's completely unrelated from your industry. So you might be in tech. You might want to go and look at, um, I don't know, law and see what law is doing. You might be in law and you might want to go and see what people in the advertising industry are doing. And the reason why that's important is because you can directly leverage things that people are using in other areas of the world, in other companies, other industries, and bring that to yourself. I've done this many a time to bring different ideas to new marketing campaigns for different industries that I work in. Something that works really well in real estate might also work really well for you know, exterminators, for example. Right, And so there's so many different things that you can leverage by looking outside of your industry. So there's the six, you guys. You have market, technology, future, expert, insight, and unrelated mining. You have these six methods that you can use to drive new products, new services, new sparks for new ideas. This by itself is so important, and I can't emphasize that enough. If you're going to create something new, if you want to create a brand new category, you have to obsess on these six. If you have more questions about this, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to help you out with this. and I'd love to um, share some more insight with you in terms of how you can use these to create a brand new category for yourself. And hey, let's just say you're not trying to create a brand new category for yourself. Maybe you're trying to create a logical leap and bring something that the marketplace could expect and be like, yeah, it adds value, but I can expect this. It's not something new. It's not a necessarily new category, but it's something you can use as a new product or service to drive new revenue. You can definitely use these six. Here's a really good story for you guys. What's interesting is when people go on vacation, they experience things that they might not experience back at home. Let's say you live in North America and you go to Thailand, or you live in Thailand and you go to North America, for example. There's things in North America that we do that Thailand doesn't do. There's things in Asia and Europe and Africa that they do that people in North America don't do. Those things that they do in different parts of the world, you can bring directly to your geography, to where you live, your city, your continent, your city, your province, your state, your continent, whatever it is, that would be new in this part of the world. Let me give you an example of this. When Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, went to Italy, he noticed something a little bit different. He noticed the culture around coffee, around espresso, around cappuccino, and how it was an experience. And how the cafes just made people feel comfortable. They made them feel at home. It was my home away from home. I love being here. I love sitting here. I wish I could bring this same type of thing to North America. Wouldn't that be cool? 
he learned something by going outside of his geography. He took something from Europe that was just whatever. This is just what it is in Europe. This is what we do. And he brought it to North America. And now we love Starbucks. Starbucks is a massive company. We love going there. How many times have you heard somebody say, hey, I'm going to work at Starbucks? Or, hey, I'm going to go have a meeting at Starbucks. Or, hey, I'm just going to go sit and meet a friend at Starbucks. It's like you're home away from home. That's exactly what Howard Schultz wanted to do. Create an experience and create a solid product. And he learned that by going outside of his geography. Now, that's the unrelated mining that I'm talking about. If you want to create a brand new category, when you're traveling, when you're on vacation, if you're going outside of your continent, if you're going outside of your country, pay special attention to the things that people do that are different than how you do it back at home. Because you can take some of those things and directly bring it back home with you And that by itself could be just enough of a spark to drive a brand new product, a brand new service, or create a brand new category for yourself and for your marketplace in terms of where you're from. Isn't that cool? That to me is so exciting. And that opportunity is available to everybody. But we just have to have our minds right in order to identify those kind of opportunities. So cool though, you guys. This stuff gets me jacked. I absolutely love it. And last but not least, golden nugget number three. Now that you have your new category, you need to make sure you're communicating it effectively in order to bring it to market. That in itself is one of the biggest faults of a lot of organizations. They can be great inventors. They can bring a brand new product, brand new service to market, and yet they have a huge challenge of the market adopting it. And why is that? Well, it comes down to marketing. A lot of these folks, a lot of these companies that spend a lot of time creating something brand new for the marketplace, they know the marketplace could use they're not able to convey the value of that product or service very clearly. And as a result, that product or service dies on the vine and truly never materializes into the potential that it could possibly have. And so one of the lessons from the book that they really want to focus on, and I completely agree with, is that storytelling can help customers, your marketplace, better understand the value that your product or your service can bring to them. It's essentially what it comes down to, guys. You have to communicate a story in terms of what the authors call your point of view. You have to share your point of view correctly. And to me, the point of view, guys, in my experience, is just being able to communicate the benefits of what it is you offer. The problem is, most of the time, we're not communicating the benefits of what it is that we do. We're communicating the features of it, the advantages of it, and yet we're leaving the benefits out. And because of that, They're not truly understanding the value that we can bring to them. And as a result, they just neglect it. There's so much distraction and so many things to focus on today that, listen, if I don't truly understand what it is, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give it a whole bunch of thought. I'll give you guys a few examples here. Let's talk about um, stability control, right? In four by fours, in in SUVs, trucks, right? You can go ahead and say, hey, you know what? This truck, you guys, it's awesome. It has the strongest stabilization control in the industry. The stabilization stabilization control in this truck is second to none. It's the best. What the hell does stabilization control mean to me? I don't give a damn what it means. What is the benefit? Well, it means that your truck, your SUV, is is not going to roll over. It's impossible to roll over. You cannot roll this truck over, which means your family... Your kids, your dog, your, your, your brothers, your sisters, your wife, your husband, they'll all be safe. Because I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people who die in rollovers and SUVs. And a lot of our competitors have SUVs, have trucks that roll over. It can be very dangerous. Well, with ours, ours doesn't roll over. Man, talk to me about giving me a good benefit that I truly understand. That's benefit. Stabilization control, do away with that. I don't care about that. That's a feature, right? Let's talk about this one. Um... This product contains 
2.5% active benzocaine. Uh, cool. That's, that's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's great to know. Yeah, fantastic. That in itself is a feature, not a benefit. You don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. So what I'll tell you right now is, listen, if you're a mother trying to sleep, if you're a father trying to sleep, um, you know you know the pain that your children's going through, the kind of pain that happens when they're teething. So let me tell you something right now. If you use our gel, you put that on your child's gums, it'll stop the pain from teething five times faster than other ordinary teething gels. Oh, cool. You painted a picture for me. I got it. I see. Don't talk to me about the features. I don't care about benzocaine. Talk to me about the benefit. What's it going to do for me? What's it going to do for my child? Here's another one for you. Three-in-one shoe polish. I saw this one when I was getting my suit uh, the other day. And I was like, what the hell is three-in-one shoe polish? Don't even care. Didn't, didn't sell anything to me. I would be shocked if they do a whole bunch of sales because the, just how they communicated the benefits of their product. As a marketer, I'm naturally curious. So I turned around to see what it was. If you read it, their polish will keep your shoes shinier three times longer than the standard polish. If you tell me that my shoes are going to be shinier three times longer than the standard polish, you got me. You got me. Perfect. You see, so that's the difference, you guys. That's the difference in being able to tell a story with your product. A lot of the times, inventors, CEOs, executives, they take the safe route. They don't like telling stories. They like talking about the features, and they lay out all the features on their website. This is what it contains. It contains, you know, element A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Load it up, guys. 30 things. How will people not want to buy? There's 30 things. Of course, they're going to pay, you know, a whole bunch of money for it. Look at what they're getting. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to them if you haven't told them a story. So I agree with the authors in terms of taking time out to really focus on the importance of storytelling. I completely agree with them. And so another part in the book that they talk about, they talk about this whole idea of um, a strike of lightning. You know, the introduction of a new category in the market must be as dazzling as a strike of lightning. You know, you can't ignore a strike of lightning. It's beautiful. It's there. It's, it's bold. It captures your attention. And so essentially what I read from this is PR. They're talking about PR. Do you have a big campaign? Do you have something that you can reveal yourself to the marketplace in a, in a big stage? You know, so Apple does this very well. You know, before it was Steve Jobs and Steve would stand on stage and he would talk about the new iPhone, the new Mac and whatever, the new programs they were bringing, the new updates. And it was cool. That was their big strike of lightning. People would get there and they'd be like, wow, I got to see this. They've displayed the products. They've sold me on these things. They've drawn attention to it and they've won me over. So essentially they're telling us two things here in the book. They're telling us about the importance of storytelling and the importance of this strike of lightning, which is essentially PR, marketing. Whenever you're bringing a new product to market, you have to focus on the marketing of that product. If you don't market it effectively, your salespeople are not going to be able to sell it. You have to tell a comprehensive, compelling story. It has to be benefit-driven. And yet at the same time, you have to do things that will draw attention to you. Here's an example here for you guys. I used to have a contract with an information security company, and it's very cool. One day I was in a meeting, and you know they had a I forgot what it was a Category Three building where you know it was just really um, really protected. And so I had my iPhone in there, and I like to record my meetings all the time. So I asked for permission, as I usually do. Hey, can I record this meeting? And they laughed, and they said, No, you can't. I said, Well, I always do. What's the problem? He says, Ryan, do you know how easy it is to hack into your your little phone there? I said, Nah, no way, guys. Come on. They started laughing. Well, for a company that employs what's called ethical hackers, yeah, they were able to really hack into my phone fairly easily, record from my phone, and they were able to do it in this time span of that meeting, just to demonstrate to me how vulnerable our technology is. So I saw that. I said, oh my God, 
can we do this with other companies? And they said, of course we can. So what I did was I said, why don't we, why don't we create a campaign out of this, guys? Why don't we create a campaign to go to market and say, listen, your data is not safe. We will break into every single one of your files, take the data that is important to you, and show you how easy it is. And once we do that, we'll also fix it so that nobody else can do it. You know, not in that exact words and, and what have you, but along those lines. And so what we had was we had these ethical hackers go to companies. They went in and they, they did what's called their, their penetration test. And they went as far as they possibly could, you know, infiltrated many areas of the organization. And this was something that we marketed on a big stage. It was something that nobody had done to that point yet. And it attracted a lot of attention and gained them a whole bunch of clients and a lot of credibility. And they told a lot of stories about it. A lot of referrals came from it. And uh, to them, that was their stage. So again, to you, what stage are you using? What marketing are you using? What story are you telling? That's what you need to get away from this, guys. You can create whatever you want, but if you can't tell a story, if you can't market it effectively, it's going to die on the vine, you guys. The importance of marketing, the importance of storytelling, baby. Incredibly important. All right, my friends, there we have it. That is Play Bigger, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create. Hope you guys enjoyed this one, and I certainly hope that you guys enjoyed me sharing some of my stories, some of my experiences with you guys. Again, to me, that's why I do this podcast. It gives me a platform to share my experiences with you guys. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have mentors in sales, marketing, strategy, and in product and service development, and it gives me an opportunity to share some of those experiences with you guys. And especially when it comes to product and service development, it's one of those areas that's still not quite, you know, well understood. And so any book that gives me an opportunity to share with you some experiences, I'm going to take that book and I'm going to share it with you guys. And uh, so I think that the authors did a pretty good job of summarizing a few key pieces that are important to developing a new product, a new service, or in their case, a new category. And uh, like I said, I hope that you guys were able to get a little bit more value from hearing about some of my experiences and uh, adding a little bit something more to this book. So other than that, my friends, again, thank you so much for tuning in, you guys. It always means a lot that you do. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes, type in Cut the Crap Podcast, and rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me if you guys did that. So uh, thank you in advance for any of you guys who do go ahead and do that. My friends, I hope you have a fantastic week, a productive week, and I will catch you back here next week with a brand new book and brand new golden nuggets. Have an awesome week. Take it easy. I love you guys. That you're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs. But during those down moments, that's where the growth takes place. That's where the work is. See, anybody can feel good when they have their health, their bills are paid, they have happy relationships. Anybody could be positive then. Anybody can have a larger vision then. Anybody can have faith under those kinds of circumstances. The real challenge, the real challenge of growth, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, comes when you get knocked down.
Are you going through it or are you growing through it? Are you bigger and better because of it? Because it's not going to leave you until you grow through it. As you're in the process of reinventing your life, write a description of the kind of person that you want to be. What are the things that you must overcome? What qualities about your personality you know that you're going to have to change because those particular characteristics are liabilities to you? What are your assets? What are your strong points? Take full responsibility for your life. Accept where you are and the responsibility that you're going to take yourself where you want to go. And you can either let it destroy your life or you can build upon it. You can decide that you're going to stand up to life. You can decide that I'm going to live each day as if it were my last. You, can, you have the power to make that decision. You can decide, I'm going to work on myself and develop myself. I'm going to empower me. It doesn't matter about what happens to you. What matters is, what are you going to do about it? So part of beginning to get unstuck, you've got to decide that the behavior pattern that you have adopted doesn't work for you. You've got to change your strategies. And changing your strategy means reinventing your life. Recreating you, and you have the power to do that.